the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. is not weak If no one will hear you say it to me When your secrets are heavy And you're ready to scream I'll carry the burden Say it to me Welcome to the Marinade with Jason Earl A free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people, this is episode 97, and our guest is singer and songwriter I, spelled A-H-I. I writes beautiful, personal songs, like those on his forthcoming third record, Prospect. I've had the pleasure of listening to this album for weeks now, and I keep going back for its richness and humanity. You can give the album a listen and get your own copy on November 5th, 2021, this episode is special. It's our first in the Americana Fest 2021 series for the Marinade. I was fortunate to travel to Nashville, Tennessee for a weekend in September. I got to spend time with wonderful creatives and saw outstanding sets from I, Aaron Lee Tajian, Van Plating, Trey Burt, Great Peacock, Matthew Fowler, and several more. Just an incredible experience if you ever have the chance to go to Americana Fest in Nashville do it y'all the folks whose music you love are not only playing sets all over town but they're also just mingling in the crowd they're fans like anybody else going to see their friends and people they've never met before and to uh, to a person the folks i got to meet and hang out with were just delightful everybody was wonderful i caught up with us after his gorgeous set at musician's corner in downtown nashville Langhorn Slim was about to go on, and so we suggested to record backstage for eyes convenience, but he's a pro and a hell of a nice guy who was mindful of the sound quality for this interview. So he was gracious enough to come back to the Airbnb I was sharing with Van Plating, her guitar player Josh Davis, and her husband Jack, and so we had this nice kind of a comfortable space to talk, which I think made a huge difference in the conversation. I was a delight, and this is such a pleasure. I'm really excited for y'all to hear this conversation and also his record prospect. Everyone, my conversation with singer and songwriter, I. Yeah, the you kind of got to be careful with these the chords. They kind of like pop, 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 pop. If you if you move too much, um, so if you just kind of hold still, it should be a little bit better. And um, word. And it's a check, check, check. Yeah, there you go. Check, check. What, what? I'll, I'll be probably this at this level. So that's perfect, yeah. right there. Okay. No, no. No, thanks. <laughs> do your thing, alright. Do your thing. <laughs> Same with you. No, don't even pop. Don't, don't worry, man. Don't worry. If I can come after, okay. I'm done. I sh- my set's like forty-five minutes. Well, come down. I'll buy you drinks. I'll drink, okay? but I'll come down. I'll buy you a Coke. All right. Cool. Um, All right. All right. Thanks for doing this, man. Thank you, man. This is uh, such a pleasure. I just got to see you play at Americana Fest. I just got to see you play the most beautiful set. 
and I'm going to throw out my notes for the most part because you said told so many cool stories All and right. said so many wonderful <laughs> I things. Wanna, I want to see some of your notes. Right? Yeah, you can see my notes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, because most of this is sort of like what I already had. And then all of a sudden I'm circling things and there's arrows. I'll and this is kind of what I was writing while you were playing. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and then this also all is right, what I was right. writing. I'm, I'm going to trust your lead, so. <laughs> well, I, I think there were so many cool things that happened, but I, I want to start with the thing that I, I'm interested in about to start off is like the, the journey for you backpacking, right. taking off and like what the impetus was for it. And, mm. and then what lessons you learned along the way about you and about your creative process. Right. So I grew up in a very like religious household. You know what I mean? Father, very strict, very religious. And um, I think at the point when I started traveling, it was like I had a lot of spiritual questions, a lot of questions about who I am, what my purpose in this life is. So I think backpacking kind of put me in a space where I was able to really get to know myself by myself. So I threw myself in the middle of Ethiopia. No accommodation. I had a couple numbers. No, no accommodations. No, you know, nothing. And I think what happened to me at that time is my my intuition my instinct my paranoia was just heightened and paranoia i say that in a good way paranoia a lot of people think that's like a negative thing but for me paranoia is like when you're just aware of everything you know what i mean so mm -hmm. those kind of things kind of helped me learn how to connect to people learn how to read people i was already good at reading people but i feel like it just went to another level where i can just see someone and i get the sense of their like the humanity behind this person what's you know what i mean the goodness behind this person so for, so all my songs if it's a, if there's a if it's a character based song or if it's me as the the, the narrator in the song or, or if it's just a true story about my life i try to go to the humanity of everything i try to find that that kernel that simple kernel that we're all going to connect to you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i try to keep my songs very simple they're not they're not heavy mm. some of them are heavy i guess but they're mm. not like deep 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 songs right? well i think that that's one thing you do masterfully is that they they are heavy in a way in the sense that like they're they're exploring heavier themes but in a but in a way that's very accessible right right like that um, you find yourself singing along i mean coldest fire isn't exactly like a uh, not a heavy th concept that's a pretty heavy there's a lot of heavy stuff there but i'm just like eh, you know i'm just i'm kind of singing along right i'm, I'm grooving um so i think that's a special thing that a lot of you know songwriters want to try to strive for that you capture so well is right. you're able to take these very human things that can be really fucking heavy, heavy right. you know, and you make them so simple. Uh, you know, did that better than anybody, Bob Marley. Uh huh. Right. Uh -huh. And I think the moment I realized that he had a song, um, jamming. Uh huh. Right, jamming in the name of the Lord. That's what he says in the song. Right. Yeah. Most people don't realize he's talking about like one love, is a, like a religious apocalyptic song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so. When I learned, when I realized about Bob Marley, I was like, this guy's making people dance to like apocalypse music, like, and I, <laughs> like you know what dance I mean? Like, to do the apocalypse, right, right, like yeah. as it was in the beginning, so shall it be. That's like religious apocalypse undertones, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so growing up, like, I, my my mother's Jamaican, and like that was a very central theme in Jamaican music. Like, you, you, it's, it's all about dancing. I mean, my music is not all danceable, you know what I mean? Right, that right. particular song is. Yeah. I um, mean, I got to give credit to Paul Mayberry for that. You know what I mean? Like, who produced your he most produced recent, record. your forthcoming yeah, record, yeah. yeah. So he produced a record and he was like, he really wanted to give it this tropical sound and I was really like, mm, not sure I want to go down the tropical route, but he, it felt tasteful, it felt respectful, and we had a compromise, like a good compromise, where I was like, okay, give me this, just give me the first verse acoustically, and then he's a drummer as well, yeah. and then you can do what you want on the drums, right? And then uh. it was like, it, it, when we both heard it, we're like, okay, and that's his favorite song on the record. But yeah, that song, it's like, I knew it was going to be my most like up-tempo pop sounding song. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, not, it's not a pop song right. right now, but like... I knew it was gonna be the most commercial sounding song. I guess is, is that's that's you know because it's the way I wrote it. it. Felt that way, right? How how comfortable? So you you mentioned like not being totally comfortable with it at first. You kind of eh, with the tropical right, sound. Right. Is that because of your your where your mother's from and you were so, like didn't want to? That's a com complex thing in a way, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. We get complex here, right, by the okay, way. Okay. So <laughs> we get so, in the weeds. <laughs> in my career, I've been 
I've been judged because of how I looked, right? Uh. So I made a record called Indie Soul. It's an EP, my, one of my, my second EP, right? And I sent it to an indie label, one of our biggest indie labels in Canada. Uh-huh. And they didn't even listen to the record. Someone, I was recommended to send it into a person, a specific person, emailed to them, I sent it to them, and the guy said back to me, "We don't do that kind of music, right?" And I responded to him. I said, "Do you do you do like would you do Michael Kanuka or Cold Specs or like do you know Cold Specs? I don't know Cold Specs. She's a Canadian no. artist, but like, um, would you do these type of artists um, who are all kind of folk indie kind of sounding stuff?" And I guess he saw. The, the outfit, the look, the the skin tone. Yeah. Saw indie soul, but ignored the indie part and just assumed it was like a R&B record or wow. hip-hop record, right? And he apologized immediately. I don't think he was being racist necessarily. I just think we sometimes just operate in the way we understand things. You know what I mean? So at that point, I kind of was... I've always tried to like disconnect myself from urban anything. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to be recognized as a songwriter. You know what I mean? I want to be recognized as a singer-songwriter. I don't want to be associated with hip-hop or urban stuff. Like, I want to be just recognized for my songwriting and my yeah. voice, right? So Paul in this studio, I told him that, you know what I mean? And he's like, man, he's like, he's he's an Australian guy, right? It's like, man, that's that's just, that's an American thing. Like, that's an American music industry where they divide music between like R&B, the R&B charts and then the pop charts. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, just make music, man. If it fits with the song, make it. Who cares if it's urban or if it has hip-hop influence to it? You know what I mean? And him saying that, that was the first time I kind of just embraced that side of me. You know what I mean? Because I used to, believe it or not, I used to rap, right? Oh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, Like, pretty good. Huh. I was pretty decent at it, right? <laughs> um, so... Like, did you record any of that stuff? Yeah, or? you don't want to find that stuff. <laughs> I wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. Right? <laughs> you just said you were good. It was like I was good. At, I was good. For, like the the recording stuff was not as good. Okay. But like me as a rapper was good. Like freestyling and stuff. Yeah. I had a neat an, an, an <laughs> <laughs> So my artist name was Urban Peasant, right? <laughs> <laughs> and what I did was the the one album that I would let people hear it was Urban Peasant introducing I. So I was rapping oh. on the verses and then singing on the choruses. Okay. Right? And it was called Heaven is a Place, right? Okay. Um, so there's like this old like folk, this, like I had this folk record, um, Memphis folk record, I think, and this guy is a gospel preacher. I was like, heaven is a place. And he, he just gets out like, that's that's a cool term. So I called the that. So anyhow, I've tried to disassociate myself. I love hip hop. You know what I mean? I'll always be a hip hop head forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I want to be. I wanted. I didn't. I never wanted to be pigeonholed in the music industry. I didn't want people to just look at me like, "Oh, that's the soul guy." I see too many black artists who just make regular music, get given the soul to- the soul name. Like, mm. I wrote this 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 piece that I haven't shared yet, um, qu- questioning why are black artists always given the most successful black artists that I see in the, in the indie space in the non like commercial pop mainstream space always have to do throwback music they oh, always have to have some element of throwback to their music and i find like michael kanuka throwback he went he went throwback route more so than his first record was amazing for me like i love all his records but his first one was just a folk record and i yeah. love that about him yeah but he did still have john but i think john butler on it who played drums and he played with bill withers uh-huh right um black pumas throwback yeah. funk you know what i mean uh, Leon Bridges, throwback. Yeah, you know what I mean. Very much th- his dra- the way he his dresses, style, so everything. It's not to say that there's nothing, anything wrong with it, but sure. I just didn't want to be that thing. You know what I mean? That throwback or that soul thing. That's oh, want to be recognized as like Ed Sheeran makes singer songwriter music. Right. And that's all he does. Even if he does a soul record, uh, you know, that sounds just like Al Green or Bill Withers, no one's saying he's soul music. He's just singer songwriter. You know what I mean? Or pop song, right? Yeah. Um. So. That Paul kind of putting that in my mind just made me realize, like, you know, at the same token, like, if you want to be respected as a singer songwriter, you got to respect the song. And if the song says put a hip hop beat on it, you put a hip hop beat on it. So for me, denying that, I was denying the very thing I was trying to accomplish. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. so, yeah. So I think that's 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 how. So that's why that song when I, when it first that was the moment where I realized, okay, it just changed my mind about music on Coldest Fires. Like, okay, you want to put a tropical thing on it let's, like let's yeah. hear it let's hear what it sounds like you know i was reluctant at first but then it, i love it it's great so 
I think you're being generous to that record exec too when you say you didn't think it was being racist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to believe. I want to believe that people don't intend certain their certain some of their behavior. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. I think that there's implicit biases. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. He he yeah. made a decision based off of. of he judged a book by its cover. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it's like it was a, it was a, it was a folk record. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like singer songwriter record. Um, it wasn't a great record. I, I would have preferred him to say, oh, "This sucks." Like, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, <laughs> right? It, was, mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't horrible. Like, you know, there's one of my favorite songs is on that record, but compared to what I'm doing now, it's like you know miles apart, right? So yeah. Um, he apologized, and I, I've never said who it was because people in Canada know him. Right, he's very well respected in Canada. Yeah, um, but it's you know it's just and, and the th- the sad thing about it though is that like my last two records, I wouldn't put my face on the records, right? Yeah, because of that experience. Oh, interesting. And this is the first record I actually put my barely put my face on it, but my face my my pro my side profile is on it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and that's uh, it. Always sucks, man. You don't realize like how that, how what, what people say to you can just affect your life decisions. You know what I mean? I let yeah. it. You know, if I had more confidence, maybe I wouldn't have. But I am gonna stereotype you as a Canadian. That's that's very <laughs> polite the way that you handled that whole situation, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, there's a, a few things that I feel like we could do this all day. And I know you have a limited amount of time because you're going to go and make people feel the feels that I just felt earlier uh, today. But um, you talked about a couple of things during your set earlier. And there's a song Danger that I wanted to ask you about anyway. Right. And you kind of went into the story. And one thing that really struck me was how you talked about songs coming to you in a dream, mm. which was mind blowing to me. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. And then also if you could talk, you skipped over like how I'm interested in the, how you got the connection with. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, So when it comes to dreams, I had a teacher, Miss McCabe in high school who, um, I don't know why she was even talking about this. She was like, she was kind of like hippie-ish a little bit. She taught taught English class and she's like, if you want to remember your dreams, when you wake up in the morning, don't wake up to an alarm. Don't turn on the TV. Um, this is before iPhones and stuff, right? And yeah. she's like, just lie there for about five minutes. Right? Uh. And your dreams will just come back to you. So at that time, I, I just found it the most interesting thing, right? I just At that time, I started doing that. And I would just, ever since then, I every time I lie, even if I fall asleep on the couch for like 10 minutes, I have a dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is which is a gift and a curse. So yeah. Like, so my brain has always has been wired for dreams. I don't know why it worked. She said her husband was like in the military and he taught her that or something like that. So I have dreams all the time, and I've, I like if but what I, what happens now is whatever I put my my attention to. So like if I'm playing a video game on it, I don't really play video games. But let's just say I'm playing yeah. like a, a video game. I'll dream that video game. Or if I'm reading a book for a whole week, I'll dream about that book. So music, if I'm in a music space, I'll dream music, right? So um, I think we all do it. I just don't. I just don't think we all remember that we're doing it. You know what I mean? And yeah. the more you do it, the more you you refine your your muscles, I guess if you want to say, to to be able to like filter what's important, like what dreams are important, what song. So like uh. I, like it can come to me anyway. Like one one time I had a dream of like Sting was in my dream singing a song you know what i mean uh-huh. and then i woke up and wrote what he sang <laughs> oh <laughs> wow and it's like it's it's, it's wild do you think stuff. you owe him royalties for that <laughs> i didn't release the song yet okay so, <laughs> so, <laughs> i won't tell you well, which i'll song edit that out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i won't say which song it was you'll have to guess which song it was um so like stuff like that like i'll be in, a, in my dream there's a radio on uh. and i'll just dream that there's a song on the radio and if i like the song i'll wake up and and, and write it down you wow know so, so danger was was a song that came to me in a dream that and that was just me performing at a th- uh, place called Massey Hall in Toronto, uh-huh. one of our iconic venues, and um, so like yeah the you know the song ended up being about a lady named Evelyn Fox who I wrote it before I even knew who she was, and what I didn't say on stage today was that she's from Toronto right and she I don't know how I missed this part but she's literally her son was shot literally five minutes about a five minute walk or I think no probably drive from where I say in the song wow right and it's like crazy crazy right like you can't you can't make that stuff up she didn't know who I was I didn't know who she was 
And the way I ultimately was led to her, um, I, I left this out, Paul Mayberry, the producer as well. When I was in the studio, I told him about it. And he was like, sometimes people get in the way of people's blessings because they think they think it's gonna. It was, he didn't say it like that. He said sometimes people are offended on on other people's behalves when what it could be is a blessing for that person. So they're offended, but it could be a blessing for this lady, right? Uh-huh. And he was like, I don't think you should take her name out. You know what I mean? Like this was handed to you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Keep you know. So I said, let me record a version with her name in it and without her name in it, and I'll reach out to her and see. So. The craziest part of this story, and you can't tell this whole story on stage, right? The craziest yeah. part of this story is, it's not the craziest part, but it's one of, one, a very crazy part, of, is that my mentor, who produced my first two EPs, mm-hmm. I played Prospect, the new record to him on Zoom. And um, we were on there for like two hours talking, and at the end of our, co- our call, he's like, his favorite song on the record is Danger. And I was like, oh, I didn't even tell you the story about that. So I tell him the story about the dream, tell him the story about the reverend, and I say, I haven't reached out to her yet because um, I'm scared, right? And as I'm talking yeah. to him, telling the story about how she lost her son to a stray bullet, you could see him on Zoom, like, like, like typing something on his computer and like looking at files, not files, but looking at a screen. And what he was doing is he was going through files on his computer and he pulls up a file, he's like, keep talking, keep talking. He pulls up this file and then he, he was working, so he's a music director in film and television and he was working on L'Oreal Women of Worth a treatment for this. They had 13 women they picked for this campaign called Women of Worth. And they tell the story of these women who have significant stories. Uh-huh. And the one that they sent him to do the music for was her. Right? And he he never knew her name because when he does these treatments, he doesn't even look at the file name. He just gets the brief and just does the work over what it is. So he does the music and then the first time he ever looked at the file name, it said, Evelyn Fox, Woman of Worth treatment. Right? I had this. I had this recorded, so you you can see because I was recording the Zoom call, right? You can see all our reactions to it, and we're like, "What the heck?" Yeah. And he's like, and my 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 mentor is like, he's, his name's Orrin Isaacs. He's super chill guy, right? Like, so he's like, "That's pretty crazy." He's like, yeah. he's like, "That's that's insane," right? Yeah. So it's like I don't know why that stuff, like how that can happen. You know what I mean? Like I, I do believe life is like more mysterious than we know. Like in reality, we all came from out of nothing. Like you know what I mean? Like. Yes. How did we all get here? And we create these rules and we create these. So part of my travels, even even in Ethiopia, when I talk about like the intuition and the paranoia and the in- instincts that are heightened, it's like we lock ourselves into these this this way of life. Like, okay, we go, let's say we do a nine to five job. We yeah. have these cues and these things we expect every day. And we create a pattern for ourselves yeah. that makes us not see how immensely crazy this world is. You know what I mean? How, how we can connect on a neurological level, maybe. I don't know. Like, I don't want to sound too, like, spiritual, but, like... No, I want to hear it. Because I think... I've been thinking about this a lot. Right. I wrote something that wasn't nearly as eloquent as that uh, earlier this weekend. I was thinking about how it feels so good to be in Nashville, and Nashville and Ethiopia, but coming from Florida... It doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, just being somewhere else. Right. You know what I mean? Just, like, traveling to somewhere else, even if it's not a different country or if it's not a different continent... Right the fact that we've been starved from that for so long. Right. Like when I got here, I just, they were all out, right? So I'm staying with Van Plating and, and she was out when they were having dinner and stuff and going to shows. And I, I didn't have my pass yet, so I mm-hmm. couldn't get anywhere. So just by myself in Nashville, which I, I've been to, but not for years. And I just put boots on the ground and I just started walking around, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of taking in the smells and sights and tried to find a bite to eat. And I realized like how much I miss being a visitor because I was so high. Everything was so heightened. I felt so in touch, you know, and I, 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 so I'm curious about that with you with this, the spiritual aspect. You talk about God a lot in your music. You grew up, you know, in a religious household. And so I'm curious about like with something like what you just described. And I, I grew up in a religious household, really going through it, like still going through it about my spirituality and my, my, my relationship with what that looks like and I talk about it all the time (laughs) because I don't know what to do about it you know and I'm constantly wrestling with it but that makes you want to believe in some higher power like what you just told me that story I I feel like it's kind of the same thing I was saying like 
we're creatures at the end of the day. Like we're we're like we're we're animals at the end of the day. Like you know what I mean? Like when you look at the squirrel outside, like they just running around living in that state of paranoia, that state of awareness uh, constantly. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And if they they uh, if they're caught slipping, some raccoon or some fox or something's just gonna eat them. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. their whole life. So we are social creatures. We are we are I think I believe we're like connected organisms. So I, f- I feel like what what for me, and I'm gonna have a lot of fans that that are gonna be mad at me for saying this. <laughs> I often find that, that that church can sap that spirituality out of us, you know, uh. that organic feeling out of us, that dogma can sap that out of us. Because for whatever reason, people want security, people want comfort. So we create we create textbook laws, we create these things that give us, which are great, they can be great too, obviously, that give us those comforts, and then we die by those comforts. Like this is the way, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But being in in, in Ethiopia. The way I looked at it was like it's just me and God. Like you know what I mean. I could have died on that road so many times. You know what I mean. Like on the, that trip, someone could have beat me up, mugged me. You know what I mean. Like, but you have to be in that high, heightened state just to know who to trust, to know if someone's kind, has kind eyes. You get one life. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but if you believe that, you know, if you believe in eternity, or if you believe that you're going to be here forever, then everything you do is going to be marked in that. In your forever, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, there's a weird part of me that's like, you can. How do I say this? Nothing can go wrong if your life is forever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if your life isn't forever, then nothing can go wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. it's just, it is what it is. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does like, make sense. I've never heard it put exactly that way, but that that makes a lot of sense like to me. What, what, so the, so so what's there to worry about? So I I. I I want people to feel that spirituality from my music, but I don't want to preach at them. I hate preaching at people. You know what yeah, I mean? Uh-huh. Because it's more what I was looking for in Ethiopia is the feeling, is the the, the excitement in your heart that the the quickening of your spirit, as they say, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't want the textbook. I didn't want to hear my you know no disrespect to my dad. My dad's a great guy. To hear right. hear the 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 the, the versification, you know what I mean. I want to mm-hmm. feel that. I want to feel God in my heart. You know what I mean. So I, I don't take those things lightly. Those dreams, those things that come through my dreams. You know what I mean. Like I I, I think. You know, you know, this is like these are weird like novel concepts. But like, imagine like, <laughs> I had a girlfriend back in the day, and she said, I don't know, I don't know if this is true. She she said her sister were, were witches, right? Uh-huh, I uh-huh. don't believe in witchcraft or anything like that. But I just okay. find it interesting. And she said that her sister used to have friends, and they're all in this witchcraft stuff, and they used to meet each other in dreams, right? Uh huh. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but the idea of it, you know, whether it comes from witchcraft or not, was intriguing to me. Like, we, if you dream, you always see, you see people in dreams all the time. Right. What if, like, like your your soul or your heart just said, "Hey, I," and you just said hi to me in a dream, and like oh, you didn't even God. know you did that. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't even know that, but. But if we were aware of those things, maybe we'd, be, we'd have more realization. I know it's a weird thing to think about. Like our brains are so powerful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're creating our reality to, to a degree. You know what I mean? Like everything you see is being processed and created by your brain. You know what right. I, mean? I, have these, I, I took philosophy in university. Yeah. So I, I go really deep. Me too. <laughs> you too. Know? I minored in philosophy. Oh, you might, you might, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. I had a poli sci and philosophy. Right? That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. I majored in poli sci and, <laughs> and I minored in philosophy. That's what I did the opposite. <laughs> that's that's great. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. So I get really deep with it. But I think about stuff like that. Like you're looking at, you know, does, does you're looking at that, you just picked up a water bottle to take a yeah. sip, right? Yeah. Does that water bottle look the same to you as it does to me? Of course not. No. Right. And yeah. how different does it look, right? We only identify it because of our association to it. You know mm. what I'm saying? It's four feet tall and green. Right, right, right. right? <laughs> My drummer is actually, he can't see greens. He's colorblind. Oh, interesting. He can't yeah. see greens. So was one, day he, anyways, one day he came and he was like matching, but he thought he was picking gray and <laughs> but he's wearing, he was wearing all green. I thought it was hilarious. Um, great guy, Sean. But anyway, <laughs> I, I just feel like we, we can live in that. I call it mysticism a little bit. You know what I mean? We could, we could constantly live in that mysticism. And the way the world is designed is to take that mysticism from you. Yeah. Because if you, if you lose that mysticism, and this is where I get into the poli side part of my life, yeah. is you, you, can be, you can easily become a worker bee. Yeah. When you feel like there's oh, nothing dude. to live for, nothing yeah. to fight for, 
you're like, okay, I'll just go get. A, and I, and not, nothing against people who who work in the coal mines or work in the factories or right. do whatever, because that needs to be done. Right. I, I respect that, but I think that a lot of us, there's a new generation coming that we don't want to be anybody's um, um, disposable. Or what do you call it? Like, um, uh, I can't think of the word. Not disposable. Fungible. Fungible or like, yeah, like, yeah, like that's a new age way to say. It. But like, mm. um, yeah, like just this, this fungible disposable. There's another word I can't think of. Expendable. Expendable. Right. right? Okay. We we are coming from a generation where we don't want to be anybody's expendable. We don't want to just be, oh, you can just fire me. No, so I'm going to start my own job. I'm going to yeah. start my own podcast. I'm going to start my own record label. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to drop me because I can't. You know, I'm going to run my label. So. But it takes a level of, like, people you hear about it all the time in the industry is, like, how somebody got signed or, like, um, how s- my, my publicist, I was talking to him last night, and the way he met, he worked with Nora Jones on her first album, mm. right? And he the way he that happened was, I don't know if he wants me to tell the story, but the way it happened was that he was walking to a record store, and I think Nora Jones' brother's manager was in that record store. He owned it, I think. And he's like, hey, my like my sister's managing this artist named Nora Jones. You should you should check check her out. And he he was he was trying to get his his feet wet in in his at his company. So he yeah. needed an artist that was for him. And he was he was able to be her uh, publicist. And the rest is like history, right? Yeah. And he, you know, I say to him like, you were at that record store at that time for that reason. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You could look at it as just a coincidence. Yeah. But like you you helped make Nora Jones. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. That that's one in one, one in a million thing that you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe you would have been in a different record store at a different time and met someone else who would have introduced you to Nora. Who knows? Or maybe you would have right. never happened. <clears throat> so those little things are are part of the mysticism to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just how we process them, how you internalize them, and then how you tell the story after too is it helps out. You know what I mean? Well, it's yeah, and and you got to be receptive to it too. I think that's Absolutely. the other thing, right? It's like I wasn't even thinking about yesterday and today for me. Today, I've been very receptive right. to whatever is supposed to happen. I've been receptive. Whereas yesterday was my first full day here at the festival. And so I hadn't settled in yet. Right, right. And I had a great day. I mean, we had so much fun. I saw so much great music, like two wonderful podcast conversations in this very same room, like just a great day. But I, today I was reflecting. I was sitting there watching you and I had just come from watching uh, Bendigo Fletcher and they put on this, this show that just got got into me you know just got just grabbed a hold of me and then you did the same thing you know and i was just like almost emotionally spent but also my well was being filled up you know at the same time and i was just thinking like i'm more open today i'm more receptive to whatever it is i'm supposed to do i'm not thinking about something else i'm right here right now present right you know and i think some of that you have to be in that place too for to walk into the record store and end up with Nora Jones. Because you could, yeah, right? Because he could have went there and just be like, mm, you know, I don't want to hear. Because he, he didn't know who Nora Jones was at the time. Yeah. Like yeah, and if you're not, that's that's a big part of it, openness. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's that's a elegant way to put it. Like, if you're eloquent, sorry, I say elegant all the time. I like elegant too, though. Yeah. I think about it. They <laughs> both work. Always more in head, so like it's not elegant. <laughs> um, openness is 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 everything. Yeah. Right. So, so when I say paranoia, when I use the word paranoia in that sense, that's that opens you up. You know what I mean? Because you, you're, it opens your eyes up. Like, just think about it. paranoia. You're like, whoa. Like, yeah. so that that I use the word paranoia in a weird way, but like that that openness is everything. If you're not open, if you're closed, you're not gonna let that in. You know what I mean? You're not gonna yeah. like someone can be just screaming at you. Hey, I got a great job for you. It's yeah. Change your life. And if you're not open to hearing that. You're just gonna be like, yeah, I don't, you're crazy. Stop yelling at me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I think openness is is life. It's everything. And obviously, you gotta protect yourself because you're sure. be so open that people take advantage of you or that you think everything's something special and it's not. Yeah. You know, but it's a tough balance yeah. too. I I like that whole ethos that you've kind of outlined, or that I'm at least putting together that you've outlined of like. You know, you, you got to make money and you got to you got to have the job of some sort. But the idea of like we talk a lot about on this show about m- making a, a creative life and like how you make the decision to make that creative life rather than to, to be the worker be, you know. And so like for me, I have a nice balance because like I'm a, as a teacher, like I have this career that's very fulfilling and it 
it can be the nine to five worker right, bee thing, yeah, you yeah. know? And like, I'm lucky right now with the gig I have, but school systems in general in the United States don't and exactly. The, the, my mom's a teacher, sister's a teacher. Oh, really? I've got a lot of teachers in my family. So. Yeah, it, they, they don't exactly treat teachers well. Most oh, systems yeah. don't, you know, but Which is crazy it's so it. wild and it's so counterproductive. Um, but my current job doesn't do that. They treat me really well. But anyway, my point being like this kind of work you know, getting to, to talk with artists who I respect and then also writing about it and yeah. and then occasionally dabbling in photography with it. That kind of work is is going it is by nature forcing me to be more open. Right. I couldn't do this well if I wasn't more open. Right. You know? Whereas within the system, but I've created this. You know, like yeah, this is my thing. Absolutely. Like it's it's not within somebody else's system. It's just whatever I need and it nourishes that, right? And if people like it then they come to it. And if they don't, they don't need to. Whereas with my day job and most day jobs, you don't have that same openness and freeness because the structures don't allow it's for hard it. to. It's extremely hard to I used to work in schools as well. Huh. I think every teacher should be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I feel like a te- I'm, I shouldn't no teacher should have to go to school worried about anything financially mm. because your your responsibility is to put the future in the future you yeah. know what i mean mm-hmm. so like that's that i can go on a whole tangent on that but I, I think yeah like it's it's nobody's fault it's just the way we build things yeah you know what i mean yeah like, that's an interesting way like, to think about it it's just it's like they just build structures institutions then we get comfortable like the great yeah. the, the gift and curse of of, of humans is that we're creatures of, of patterns and habits. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. If I work out for three days, on the fourth day, I feel great. Uh-huh. If I don't work out for three days, on the fourth day, I feel horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just, I just get used to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's just how it works. So if we build a, a school or we build... I used to work in schools. I wasn't a teacher. I did after school stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, I saw like the, the death of the school institutions. Like I think I was at, right at the end where things were like, you saw there was a potential still, but then like the way the teachers were being being forced to interact with the students, you, you weren't allowed to be personal. You weren't allowed to like really like get a, have a human connection with these children. I worked in low income areas, yeah, and I just remember like it was draining me, and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like you know, even to the point where I was tutoring children, and the parents were ruining the experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a weird. You know, I homeschool my children. Yeah. Yeah, I got oh four, really? I got four of them at homeschool. Um, partly because my daughter was like doing very well academically early on, like at, at, at the age of three, she was like reading. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, so I was just like, let's keep doing it. Let's see if, how far this goes. But this, but at the same time, being homeschooling my children, they need structure. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you don't give them structure, it's just chaos, right? So yeah. it's like, it's like, there's a balance. You know what I mean? How do you balance? Well, I want to be respectful of your time, first right, of all. Right. So it's 6.30. Do you need to go or... Oh, how far is it? Let's go like five more minutes. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, how do you balance um, <laughs> being a touring musician, <laughs> right? And your wife's your manager, right? Right. right? right. <laughs> and so, and homeschooling kids. Right. Like, do you have structures of your own in place, scheduling structures or something? When, when it comes to how they learn, it's very fluid because, you know, my daughter's 11, the, the younger ones are seven, five, and two. So the two-year-old okay. just does whatever he wants. Yeah. Five-year-old, he's he's learning to write, write and and uh, read a little bit. Yeah. Seven-year-old's like reading and learning to like read novels, right? Cool. Um. So they 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 there's they have workbooks that they use and they have like like from that. Well, so we we still use a lot of the workbooks from schools, right? Yeah. So we register as a homeschool with the what we call the TDSB in in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, definitely structure. My wife, like, I married Superwoman, so like without my <laughs> wife. I don't know how we would do it. Like she holds down the fort, you know what I mean? Like, um, she's way more intelligent than I am, so she's uh, able. You know, she's way more patient than yeah, I am. I can relate. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> An intelligence thing, at yeah, least. Yeah, right. I'm more patient than my partner. But. Well, I'm more patient <laughs> in general. Uh. Um, she's more patient when it comes to the children, right? Uh-huh. In general, I'm a very patient, laid, laid back mm-hmm. person. But when it comes to the children, you seem like that. Yeah, when it comes to the children, I, I get a little like antsy and kind of like, come on, we gotta do the right thing. So right, right. I get it from my father. I'm pretty strict, right? Uh huh. So yeah, like it's it's um. The good thing about it is like there's endless potential. You could see it in, in all of my children. Endless right. potential. The hard thing about it is is balancing your days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, is okay, guys. Here's your work. 
sit down, do your work. We your parents have a meeting now. Yeah. Hopefully they get in the, on a good day, they all get through their work, do it well, and you know, not not much back and forth. On a bad day, everybody's screaming, <laughs> crying, like, the house on fire, right? Uh-huh. Um but I, I wouldn't change it. I don't think I would throw them into school. Um I just I just we can have a long conversation about school and, and I think the future of school is grim for children. Uh, uh-huh. Like you know what I mean? I, I I've I've studied this. Uh, when I say study this I wrote I write like little essays for myself that I don't share with anybody. Interesting. And I wrote an essay about like the origins of the school system uh-huh. and like it comes from like pressure, uh-huh. right? And it was never designed for higher level education. It was designed to take um, to allow people to move to that's what we're talking about. To to allow people to work in factories and give the children a place to stay while their parents were working in factories. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was never designed for the benefit of the children. It was designed for the benefit of the institution and the corporation. I feel right? it every day. Right. So yeah. once I realized <laughs> that, I'm like, I'm never putting my children to it. Because once something starts from a, a, a like the wrong place, mm-hmm. it's very hard to bring it to the right place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't want to trash schools because there's so much. My sister's a teacher and she does so much work. We but we have debate spells all the time. It's like if we measured schools by the way we measure the children who go to school, mm-hmm. we wouldn't send our children to schools mm-hmm. because if university is the apex or college is the apex, most schools have a fail rate of mm-hmm. sending children to university or college. So if, you, mm-hmm. if so every school got a grade for their rate of sending children to higher education, mm-hmm. then they would have a failing rate. Yeah. And how do we treat kids with failing rates? Yeah. Right? They put them in the remedial class, we put them in problem classes, uh, you know what I mean? So and that perpetuates the school to prison par- pipeline. Right. Yeah. So I have very strong opinions about school, but I, I, w- I wouldn't stop my daughter from going to school if she wants to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we've had these conversations. And uh, but with your daughter, yeah, daughter, she, yeah, she's yeah. very mature, so she she can handle. It. I think she gets like like we used to live by a school, like right beside the school, so they hear the school bell every day. So she'd she'd be like, "What's going on there?" She would uh, yelling yeah. recess. Yeah, the social part of it too. Yeah, that's the yeah. part. That's the hardest part. But yeah. you know, now we're becoming more active with them and getting them into sports and like nice and stuff like. So it's 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 a it's like I don't want to trash schools or say they're not good. Um, you know what I mean? Cause, but I think that. One thing I will say, when COVID hit, my children didn't have a hard time adjusting. Ah, uh, do you know mm. what I mean? Where I saw other children that were like suffering because yeah. they couldn't adjust to the new, to the new way of things. That's right? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, that's. That I know we could do all of the podcast on that. Album, well, but I do want to let you go, but we end if you could just quickly end yeah, on yeah, sure. um, the we end on what I'm getting down on. So that's whatever art has you inspired right now. A song that you're fired Ooh. up about, like. So, Maybe you saw a film. You've been reading a book. Right, right. I I've been really digging Maddie Diaz's new record. I don't even know what it's called, but uh, it maybe just be her name. Okay. Have you ever heard of Maddie Diaz? Ah, uh, name rings a bell, but I don't know. She's, I wish I can remember the name of the record. But I've been Maddie Diaz. Maddie M A D I D D I A Z. Okay. Okay. I might be. I might have spelled that wrong. Um, man, what's what am I really been into? This movie came back to my life. It's a. It's a. It's a movie based out of india called black okay and it's about a girl it's, it's it's about a girl who was deaf dumb like mute and blind yeah right and it was it's inspired by helen keller and it's just very it's a very beautiful film and I, I was doing a music video for one of my songs and i brought the film to the director and said we got to base this music video off of this uh, this concept right yeah that one I was watching with my wife and daughter. It's 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 a little older movie, so there's some scenes in it that might shock the new. Um, there's some um, chauvinistic scenes in it a little sure, bit. Yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but the movie's brilliant and it's beautiful, right? Yeah. What else? You just um, gotta kind of with those things. You just kind of kind of accept it. Like, okay, I'm not okay with this now, but it, it happened. It happened, and this is what the right. film was. And it's not that bad. It's it's a little comical. The the scene. Uh-huh. Um, but I was watching. I was like, oh, I forgot that that happened. Right? He pushes down a child. So, <laughs> it's little, but it's not. It's not meant to look serious. It looks more like comical. A little, yeah, right? yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful movie. It's a very beautiful, very inspiring movie. And I was watching my daughter, and she was just like all week. She was just like saying all the the lines in the movie and stuff. Um, what else? Um, musically, 
Honestly, I, I do like the new Kanye West album. Oh, I haven't listened. Yeah. I haven't I'm listened to it at all. Just because I didn't like the last one. It, you, you, it, 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 there's some good songs on it, I'll say. And that's a bad reason, I guess, for me to say, like, I didn't what, like the last one. the last one? one? This is, no. You I forget like, what it's called, but. Yeah. Um, no. Oh, the last. <sighs> what was the last one? So like I honestly I haven't liked anything since my beautiful dark twisted fantasy right, I which it, I, I thought it. was fucking awesome yeah. <laughs> you know I get it I didn't even like Jesus all that much Jesus was was Jesus was a, I didn't like it when I first heard it but we're on when you're on tour and you're traveling on tour you get a bunch of music on your phone yeah and me and my drummer were saying we're like this album's not bad the problem with it is just like this the biggest problem for me with Kanye is is there's no like. I think Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy had a cohesiveness to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. All those other records, they're, not, they're just like, it's, it, there's no cohesiveness to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? This record, it's kind of similar. Okay. But there's some beautiful moments on this record, some beautiful songs. There's one song with The Weeknd called, uh, I think it's called Hurricane. Okay. That's a beautiful song. There's some beautiful moments on this album. Um, but I've been listening to that a lot lately. My children love it. I'm glad you said uh, that. I'll, I'll listen to it. Yeah, don't, you, you you know you gotta skip through some of the songs. I would just listen to all the songs once. It's a long ass record. Yeah, it's too long, but there's some good songs on it, and you can tell that like he's trying to put himself in a good place. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, also, what I liked about it was like I find music so dark lately, and it, it's not, mm. this album's not that dark. You know what mm. I mean? Like, um, what else have I been listening to, man? Uh, I'm gonna say her name wrong because my wife always said. Joy Alatiku. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. She's great. I always say yeah. her last name wrong. Yeah, I'm not even going to do it because yeah. I know I'm going to butcher it, but she's Alatiku. so good. I, I think yeah, she's been awesome. She's been great to follow. Um, yeah, man. Um, obviously, like, I love Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History uh, Podcast. Uh-huh. I yeah, yeah. I watch that all the time. Never knew one about Little Mermaid. It's really cool, actually. Right? <laughs> so they break down the problems with Little Mermaid uh. and why um, – the contract that Ariel signed was not a, a legal contract. Ah. <laughs> right? It's amazing. Yeah, just stuff like that. But yeah, I, w- I would say check out Maddie Diaz. That's what that's what okay. I like. She has some great songs on her record. So yeah, yeah, I'll check it out, dude. Thank you so much <laughs> for this. You, thank you for this whole day. Like it was just so nice to awesome. get to see you play. And then thank you for being so accommodating and absolutely. for being so open in this conversation. Absolutely, and absolutely. I'm I'm stoked for ho- folks to hear Prospect. Yeah, like, I mean, we didn't talk a lot about. We Prospect. didn't talk much about Prospect, <laughs> but that's it's wonderful. Everybody <laughs> listen yeah, to it. It's a beautiful place. record. <laughs> Hi, y'all. Thank you so much, I. Thank all of you for listening. I, that's A-H-I, music.com for all things I. The song you are hearing in this episode is Say It To Me from his forthcoming gorgeous record, Prospect. This was so much fun, y'all, and such a pleasure. A huge debt of gratitude to Van Plating for inviting me to stay at the Airbnb with her guitar player, Josh, and her husband, Jack. I got to know some wonderful people this weekend, and... I'm just so grateful for all of those opportunities. It was incredible to have a space to record like we did. This living room that was in this Airbnb, I got to to speak with Ryan Anderson of Bendigo Fletcher. That's a forthcoming episode. And their set at Americana Fest was incredible as well. I got to speak with uh, Jeremy Albino. His set was incredible, and I got to speak with him in that same space. It was just a special, special weekend, and I'm really, really grateful for these opportunities. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade, y'all. I've got written pieces over there, photography, an online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support The Marinade. That um, the the sharing with a friend is just it makes such a difference. So um, if you like what we're doing, tell somebody about it. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, Patreon.com/slash/MarinadePodcast, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade as well as the what I'm getting down on segment that used to be in this space, but 
now as a written piece uh, about the art that is inspiring me at the moment over on Patreon. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours and just hang out. Uh, We just go on Zoom and just talk about life. On a recent episode of Jason's Journey, I actually gave our patrons a a behind-the-scenes look at my Americana Fest experience. And I told stories about rooming with those incredible musicians and meeting all these wonderful people. So if you can join us, come on over there. It's a good time. If not, above all, just thank you so much for listening and spreading the word about the marinade. All right, y'all, it's time for our review under two, where I review a work of art that has me fired up in under two minutes. For this episode, I'm doing my very first review under two of a novel, and the novel is Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. So many of life's important conversations are now reduced to shouting at the opposition. If only we all had S.A. Cosby's filters to pass through our complicated thoughts. Put through the prism of Cosby's able pen, the nuance of really difficult situations can exist and the big issues can face reckoning. The characters in S.A. Cosby's novel Razorblade Tears come to a place of understanding. Not by shouting about how they're right and others are wrong, they get to a place of compassion, remorse, and recognition by rolling up their sleeves and getting dirty. Ike, Buddy Lee, and the rest of the ensemble come to life through Cosby's command of dialogue. The two fathers, Ike and Buddy Lee, are the stars of the show, and they have a lot to say to each other. They are ostensible opposites who have a lot more in common than they realize at the outset of the story. Ike is a black man. Buddy Lee is white. Ike runs a successful business. Buddy Lee is barely holding whatever he has left together. We get to know them through trips to bars and flower shops, through long drives and mornings at the breakfast table, none of which are particularly conventional. They get to know each other by talking about the gravity of the situation in which they find themselves and the consequences of their actions. Despite their differences, the two men share a quest for vengeance stemming from the brutal murder of their sons, who were a married couple. Neither father was very good at their jobs while the boys were still alive which is both a function of their own prejudice and the fact that each man found himself in trouble with the law for violent reasons. They are united by a desire to do right this time, to find out who killed their boys and why. While the fathers dominate the story, every character is treated as a crucial piece of the puzzle. We learn about their insecurities, their strengths. We get to understand their motivations. Ike and Buddy Lee develop into heroes, but the line between hero and villain in this crime thriller remains thin until the end. The demarcation happens as a result of the choices each character makes. Cosby's villains are evil not only because they're bigots, but because they are bigots who are unwilling to change. And that's what separates Ike and Buddy Lee. They harbored some hate of their own. What sets them apart from the truly nefarious characters in this book is their willingness, albeit a stubborn one, to self-examine. These are guys who could be looked at as total assholes. A pair of ex-cons, both homophobes when we meet them, but forced into action by a system that has left them behind, the two men become friends who help transform each other. In Razorblade Tears, there's a hope that people can change. There's an opportunity for redemption, even for middle-aged folks who've had life knock them down with its best combinations. That's my review under two for Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Y'all, I can't say enough about this book. Thank all of y'all so much for listening. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.